No, I didn't. Honest. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I, I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My trucks didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. What condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in Hello and welcome back to Saxon Jacks. I'm Tom Al. We have Greg Pappas in the studio. We have Matt Byrne on the board. What a uh, Belushi in that thing sounded like Matt making excuses on the Kennedy, didn't it? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I, I can see the resemblance there. Well, today you had what? A, you had a car fire? No, actually, it was very good traffic today. Wow, because they were talking about a car fire on the on the radio. Oh dang! Carbecue. Well, luckily yeah. I avoided that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we have the market down pretty heavy here. It's not, not huge. It was down more or less. The futures down twenty six. Nasdaq down one fifteen. Dow futures are down like one hundred twenty five. This is one hundred fifty two. Sorry. Uh. This is with the, in, well, the war in the Middle East, which is uh, uh, taking up all the news, and it's obviously a big, big issue. Uh, what do we got the rest of the commodities doing, Greg? We got everything kind of moving. Oil was leading the way. Oil up three and a half percent or so, tr- probably trading around eighty six in the future. Eighty five, ninety three, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was ninety two two weeks ago, right? So it's not right. Right. I mean, it's but it's up. It spooked a little bit. So we got gold up. Uh, 18 not too bucks. many days, you see. Three or four percent moves in crude, so you know that's worth noting. Uh, well, gold's up eighteen bucks, but still eighteen sixty-three was nineteen fifty three weeks ago. So it's yeah, and that's what a percent or so. Yeah, you know, so that's right in line with kind of what uh, what, what, what you'd expect. Enough beans and all the other stuff. Everything up, I imagine. Uh, corn's up a bit. Soybeans are up less than ten cents. It's it's fairly quiet in the grains. They're waiting till Thursdayish. Thursday is what beaks. We got yeah, we got some uh, numbers coming out. Hopefully, what do you think they're going to show? Should be uh, long or short? I'm I'm thinking forty nine. Uh, harvest probably more than thirty percent done now, and I'm thinking they're going to show probably you know forty nine average per acre. You know forty nine and and maybe one forty nine, and for corn, yeah. Uh, no, that's all. That's across. That's across. What Everybody, yeah, that's the USDA comes out with, you know, 
estimated guesses. So, but in Illinois and Iowa, it's going to be over two hundred, probably, right? Yes. Yeah, Illinois, Illinois, we're doing well so far. Looks like. Where does it? I know there's that big. Well, I don't know why I can't. And just the the range of, you know, what's it called? The conditions that we've had over the past season. It's it's impressive that the crops held up as well as they did, and now that now that we're harvesting, um, it's still fairly dry out. So they're waiting a little bit to, you know, you let them dry a little bit. Uh, the more you let them dry, the less you got to use natural gas to dry them, right? Right, right. So it's it doesn't look you know terrible, which is kind of. They're they're outperforming their expectations. Mexico's buying a little bit more than we thought. Um, you know, you would what the if you're a farmer, you would hope for China and and say Mexico to buy more. Um, but the the danger is to the upside with com- with commodities and especially now. So tight inventory, um, something like this, meaning. A surprise, a surprise, a shock to the market like what we had with crude, I think is you know, more likely than a any kind of new supply and or shipments or more buying in Brazil. So hey, man, make sure you send a uh, a Zoom link to Mike Murphy. Sounds good. Um, uh, Mike, I guess Mike. No, what 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 could bleep up here? Uh, I mean, uh, this week well, has had so uh, far. You'll see cash price prices way under way under futures prices because of barge barge rates are you know really high again so the demand is not quite there from the export um, perspective and then also you've got the river that's <laughs> that's got super low levels again this year so what what we call basis has has widened out so instead of maybe there being a normally around, call it maybe f- negative fifty cents to to no gap in between the futures and the cash price, you know in some places now you're a dollar a dollar and a dollar fifty lower than the futures, which is significant. So, um, just for people who don't know what the God's name we're talking about, the basis of if somebody looks at the uh, what our, if you've got corn and you're trying to sell it as a farmer. You know, you could either sell it to your your elevator. You could sell it to, or sell it the futures, and the futures price sometimes is is different than what the price is closer to the elevator or the elevator is paying. So, what's effect? I mean, how does it get different? Um, regional and local markets are just have more supply and demand. You know, it's they've only got limited capacity, so. And transportation costs are different, so these these prices widen out. Meaning, in the future, you might look at your computer or your phone, and you're seeing the beans or corn trading. Uh, like today, you would see soybeans trading twelve and three quarters, so so twelve dollars and seventy five cents. But you know, if you go to sell it closer to you, it could be trading eleven dollars and seventy five cents. So there's there's a gap between the cash price. And the futures price, so. All right, well, let's. If we're going to say it, let's let's start from the basics. You're, you're talking like a trader, and everybody knows the hell you're talking about. Uh, when Greg says the the price of the corn future is 
pick a number, five bucks, and you've got a big pile of corn on your farm, it's not worth five bucks. It's on your farm, right? It's got, it's got to get someplace. Right. And so you might have to put it in a truck and take it to the grain elevator. Now, that guy might be, he might say, I'll give you 450 okay, because he's got to get it to New Orleans where it might actually be worth five bucks. And so he's got to get it from his place to a barge, either by rail or by truck. You get it on a barge, and every... We did a barge river tour with uh, the Illinois Corn Association. Every lock and dam you go through is like five cents more, right? Right. And so what happens is yeah. you start totaling up these costs, and then your bid, say if you're in elevator or you're, uh, you're along the river... You're, if you're operating, you know you have to charge the farmers. The something. river means the Illinois River and its way to the Mississippi River. Correct? Right, right, and or to Missouri or wherever one you happen to be on. Yeah, and what happens is you take a little bit off the futures price because you know you have to move it, and eventually, eventually your your cash prices divert from the futures price, and the futures are are trading right now. Corn is trading four ninety six, and and you'll find you won't be able to find a producer or an elevator. Excuse me, that was wrong. And an elevator or somebody who's willing to transport it for you because it costs so much more now. The the he's gonna be he's gonna be four dollar bid. It's it's three ninety. Yeah, depending on where you are. Yeah, it's gonna be lower, and so you need to depend. You need to figure out personally whether <laughs> you want to wait store. Or you know, sell sell at the cash price. So those trades are very local dependent. And it's uh, I mean, you see this a lot with with oil. Somebody says because we just said well, oil's eighty six dollars a barrel. Well, it's not. If if you're in the uh, Permian Basin, it's not eighty five dollars a barrel. It's probably sixty five dollars a barrel, right? You got to get it someplace. Yeah, right, and you can look it, up those prices if you just type yeah. in uh, oil basis today or oil basis yesterday. Or, you know, you can you can look at those. There's different uh, agricultural banks and places that will they'll put out a map, and it's it's as important, if not more important, than the futures price. Well, the so. uh, the tar sands oil when we when we all got down to where hell the oil the futures went negative the one day because it screwed up at IB. Uh, anyway. Well, I got down to what twenty eight dollars a barrel. I'm going to say now that's that is for light sweet crude out of Pennsylvania, right? Light sweet crude. It's a yeah. A, it's a, it's a, the it's standard a grade. that's right. Now, very what percentage of oil is light sweet crude? Not very much. Right. Most of the stuff is is way worse. I mean, the stuff from Saudi's all sandy. The stuff from Venezuela is horrible. The stuff from Canada tar sands even worse. So that stuff at the wellhead or at the tar sand head, what, it, what was it down to, like three bucks? Right. And a lot of, well, we only really use a few different kinds. So that's, I mean, the the different grades and specs of the commodities also, also have an uh, impact on transportation costs because... If you're, if you're all of a sudden switching, you have less capacity for the other one because the the rail capacity or the let's call it the freight capacity is somewhat fixed. 
unless you get a, a really big price spike. So. Well, the uh, that's why we have Mr. Murphy. Yes, sir. You do. We're we're talking oil basis, so you're gonna have to hang with us for a second here. Uh, that's one of the biggest issues with the this pipeline that uh, Trump said go ahead, and they bought all the steel. And of course, they bought all the steel from a uh, was it a, was it a, was it a Russian steel guy, right? Or some story? It was like when they was giving they were giving Trump a bunch of grief about that because he bought allegedly was buying American. It actually came from some came from American plant owned by this Russian guy or some story like that. So yeah, it was I that. have no idea about that. Was is this the the pipeline that was in the Midwest? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, and everybody, whenever you talk about uh, you know Biden's energy policy, which I'm not too fond of. Uh, but still, he canceled that pipeline, and everybody talks about, oh, God, that's the reason why oil prices. That particular pipeline, when, when you set up a, when you build a, a uh, I, I don't know how, how often you can switch this, Greg or Mike, but when you build a, a refinery, it's usually designed for a certain grade, you know, grades of, of oil. And if it's, if it's heavy oil, everything in the pipeline is, everything in the, in the uh, refinery has to be heated because oil the, the, the heavy stuff won't flow so that's why when when you have like a hurricane it knocks out power if it's one of those places you basically have to replace all horizontal pipe uh, pipes because it's, it just congeals in there so that this pipeline was designed since that's we, class d yeah it's it's well it's crummy stuff yeah so the, the venezuelan oil used to come to a couple of these refineries on the gulf and Venezuelan oil is, is real sandy for some reason. Even though Venezuela, I believe, has the highest, uh, the, the biggest reserve of oil of anywhere in the world, including Saudi. Of course, you can't get out of there now with the government because all they get out of there now seems to be is people. But uh, the uh, anyway, so that had stopped. So these refineries were kind of in trouble. So this particular pipeline was designed to get Canadian tar sands oil, which is very similar, from Canada through the U.S. down to these refineries yeah down to Houston and yeah, yeah it really had nothing to do with uh, um, any any you know any, with you we're, we weren't transporting US oil at all uh, when we talk oil we're talking uh, the New York mercantile exchange WTI the West yeah. Texas intermediate that's that's what we're talking about but this, right. this particular stuff was was Canadian oil essentially sent, sent through the US to the refineries that were originally set up for Real heavy stuff out of Venezuela, and they're now basically sitting there idle. I mean, it's it's, it's a really it's an incredible business, the oil business. When you turn about different grades and different this and different outputs and the, the different cracking towers and all that stuff, I mean, it's it's really fascinating. I mean, it, the, the people here in Chicago that were going to that business were in this. They took some of the most incredible math courses on how you maximize all this stuff in the towers, and it's it's super math. It's almost, I mean, uh, anyway. But all this stuff in the commodities. It's not just, you know, some farmer growing some corn and miraculously ends up in your cornflakes. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. And the, the basis and the movement, and that's the reason why, I mean, the U.S. If you had a huge trucking fleet, you would, you would look to uh, the Mercantile Exchange and maybe check out the Arbob gas futures. Yeah. So the, if you're real worried about your input costs going up and you're, you know, have a, a whole bunch of trucks or a whole bunch of uh, commercial fleet... You would say, okay, well, I would want to buy gas futures just in case, and then you take the future gains in the future. Say if it did go up, and then apply that towards your gas cost. You know, coming up. By the way, we have a uh, t- uh, message here. 
that in, in the unlikely event that our producer, Mr. Matt Byrne, because he's always all over this stuff, since this is John Lennon's birthday, we should have some John Lennon bumper music. I, I'm all for it. Let's do you, it. You should say you're already all, all on and tell whoever <laughs> sent that in that you were all with it. Yep, you know. we're all on board. We're all on board. Clan, huh? Dan's, and Stacked, we're all loaded for the See? John Lennon. See, you can't, you can't pull it over on this Matt Byrne guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so we're trying, this subject all came up, Mike, because all the futures are moving this morning because of the the new, the latest Mideast, okay, I guess I'll call it the latest Mideast war. Uh, well, it's the instability in the Middle East, so whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, boy, they were, uh, they were really grilling this Israeli dude yesterday regarding how this could have possibly, since they pride themselves on the Mossad being like the creme de la creme of, of uh, forces, special forces, how could this possibly have been such a huge surprise? And all the guy kept saying is, well, after the war is over, we'll, we'll have an investigation, is all he would say. Um, how do you suppose something like this happened, Mike? If it was really was a surprise, I mean, who knows what the... Well, number one, I think uh, Saturday, which is when I think the attack occurred, was a big holiday. So, um, or it was the tail end of a week's worth of holidays or holy days. And uh, I think... I think they just kind of got caught, but it's the, um, I mean, it, they. I don't know since the Yom Kippur War that Israel has been attacked from, through multi-points, and, you know, this was a very organized attack, and, you know, they keep saying, well, our administration keeps saying that the Iranians, they're not sure that the Iranians had anything to do with it, but I am almost totally convinced that the Iranians had a lot to do with it, and uh, it, it just it it the Israelis obviously failed, and they and and uh, they're saying, or well, different pundits are saying that our intelligence system failed also. But we, you know, we're not responsible for guarding uh, Israel, so. Uh, but that's another area. Like what they were saying that if if Iran was involved, uh, you know, who knows they, where they were, they weren't. Of course, I, uh, Wall well, Street Journal says yes. CNN, CNN says we don't know. Uh, Iran says thank. <laughs> Iran says yes. Oh, all right, well, well yeah. and Hamas and uh, Hezbollah senior officials are saying yes, Iran was involved, and Iran staged the meetings in Beirut or. Iran was at the meetings in Beirut, supposedly the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Well, supposedly, yeah, Iran was cyber attacking the IDF communications. Well, the, so uh, that's that's what, um, the, yeah. The favorite right wing station now, Newsmax, was uh, the you know this entire thing is Joe Biden's fault. I don't know if you knew that or not. Is it? Well, that's hate uh, station. You know, I I don't want to get into the conspiracy theory type stuff. But right now, you know, the U.S. is as vulnerable as it's ever been. You know, we're we're kind of helping out Ukraine. Now we're going to need to help out uh, Israel, and now would be an ideal time to uh, for the Chinese to attack Taiwan, because I mean we're hardly prepared for a one-front war, and now we may have to wage a three-front war. Yeah, we, uh, I mean, you know, Mike, it's funny, one of the, one of the uh, you'd never know it probably, but one of the themes of the show is, is everything depends on everything else. 
the same lack of preparedness that is surrounding a lot of the refugee stuff here, whatever you want to call them, uh, is the same lack of preparedness is probably in the military. It's probably everywhere. It's the same whatever seemingly incompetence across the board, and or maybe not incompetence, lack of planning, whatever it is. But um, what this, uh, what exactly is going on? I read about that it's, it, if the Iranians are involved. First of all, everybody's, everybody's blaming the money we gave them, even though it was their money. Uh, what exactly was going has been going on between Israel and Saudi? What, evidently, those relationships were starting to thaw. And that, that's what's pissing the Iranians off, evidently. Well, yeah. and, you know, the Israel and the U.S. are the great Satan to the Iranians. The Iranians do not want peace between the Saudis and the Israelis because then that leads and that makes Iran more of an outcast than it already is and you also have what uh, different people have called the Shia Crescent it extends from Iran goes through southern Iraq you know a bit into Syria then into Lebanon and, and Hamas, although they're not Shia, now Hamas is allied with uh, the Iranians because of their common enemy. So now you can have a, uh, the time is right for, and they already did it, for a multi-stage attack against Israel. And, it, and the Iranians know if you attack Israel, you know, it affects us. Plus, the you know they want to derail the this um, the extension of the Abraham Accords between the Saudis and Israelis. What, what, what's the Abraham Accord? Well, the Abraham Accord is what uh, Trump did in uh, when they were still in in power. Uh, they they have essentially made peace between the United Arab Emirates and. Israel. So therefore, some money may be being held up in support of um, Shia or Hamas or the Palestinian Authority. So some of that money may not be going to uh, the uh, Palestinian Authority. So they were all sworn enemies, the Emirates and Saudi and Israel, and they've been, that's been thawing and it's been pissing Iran off. That's correct. Um, I don't know how you. We got to go to break here. Matter of fact, we will. Because when we come back, Mike, how do you? Because we'll have John too. Um, I mean, how do you deal with? I mean, Fari used to be on the show, and I don't think there's anybody that we know that knows more about what's going on in Iran than Fari, because his dad, under the Shah, was the uh, what well, he was like the second guy in the Air Force or something. And I think Fari was like the second to last plane coming out of there after with the, with the revolution, and uh, the. Uh, I don't know how you deal with a, with a country when 95% of the people hate their government. I mean, you, you hope that they're going to overthrow the place, but they never seem to be able to. SP Futures down 28, and SP Futures down 129. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Matt Byrne on the board. Uh, SP Futures down 27, NASDAQ Futures down 125. Obviously, we have uh, Israel is now ordered a complete siege of Gaza, cutting off food, water, electricity. Uh, that's not good if you're living there. Our Futures down 168 over in Europe. Um, we have uh, the DAX down 113.7%. Putsi's actually up 13 points. Uh, uh, 0.2%. Kekaron down 36.5%. We're in Asia. We've got the Nikkei down 80 points only, 0.26. Hang Seng up 31, 0.2. And Shanghai uh, finally opened down 13. So they would close like a whole week, I think. And opened up a whole thir- down a whole 13 points. So not much going on there. Friday, big day to the upside. Dow was up 288. S&P futures down up 50, Nasdaq up 211. We were actually uh, set up for the upside, and we did we had a nice day on Friday, both there and in gold and every place. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to continue today, but who knows? Oil uh, is up 291, 85.70. We mentioned that's three and a half percent. 
still way below the $93 it was like a week and a half ago. Brent up $287, $87.45. Natural gas up $0.08, cents, $3.42. That's real high. Uh, we were $280, what, three weeks ago, uh, Greg? I mean, that, that's a big move in natural gas. It's nowhere near $9 like it was, but still it's... Arbop up $0.06, cents, $2.26. Another, that's a 3% move in Arbop. Gold up 18 bucks. It's 1%, but still under under 1900 and 18.63. Long way to go to get anywhere where it's you know we're worried about the upside there. Silver up four cents, 21.76. Copper up two cents, 3.65. We've got Bitcoin down 382, 27,524. And the U.S. dollar uh, the, it's, is actually uh, up. Uh, well, I guess you would expect this. It's up pretty strong. Uh, the euro is uh, is uh, down 48 to 1053. In a pound at 121, so they're both down uh, 0.4%. So the dollar is up. Matt, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Yeah, good morning. Currently 6:37 a.m. That is October 9th, 2023. Weather in Chicago currently 44 degrees with a high of 58 today. Humidity at 82%. Partly cloudy downtown. Tomorrow, lots of sun and a high of 61. Down in Phoenix, Arizona, clear skies, 76 degrees currently, a high of 99. Sunny skies expected throughout the week down there in Phoenix, Arizona. In the MLB yesterday, Rangers beat Orioles 11-8. Twins as well win against Astros with 6-2. Tonight in the NFL, Packers at Las Vegas Raiders. Packers 2-2 this season, Raiders 1-3. Catch that tonight at 7.15 p.m. on ABC and ESPN. So for now, Chief, back to you. Um... We have uh, the phenomenon here. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? You do. Good morning. Tom. How are Mike, you? Greg, so, Matt. Mike, real quick, uh, let's talk sports for half a second because we got to get back to our other topic. What do you make of uh, all the teams that are coming out of the wild card basically kicking ass on the teams that had to sit out the week? Well, I think there's something to just, just what you alluded to, Tom. There's something to continuing playing and, rather than taking a break. So, the with the exception of the Astros yesterday, I think all the wildcard teams have done well. And I think the Baltimore, the young Baltimore players are pressing too much and therefore they're, they're not doing well against Texas. And it just helps to continue playing. You, you keep in playing form and they can say that they have, they're working out and playing and throwing batting practice and all those other things. There's nothing like playing a game. Yeah, I, uh, plus I actually think the Diamondbacks and the Rangers are really good. I'm not so sure the Diamondbacks are right now aren't better than the Dodgers. Well, you know, and it's unfortunate for, um, what do you call it, Kershaw. You know, he, he just is, you know, bad luck pitcher in the playoffs. He, he's just terrible in the playoffs. Well, the guy dropped the ball, right, in the first inning, second inning? Right, yep. Hate it when that happens, you know, when you're a pitcher. Hate it when that happens, just saying. <laughs> Um, also tossing in the marathon was yesterday. Yeah. And the guy who ran the fast time was only 35 seconds away from two hours. Uh, it's When he, are they going to get there? Soon? He only, yeah, he he trains uh, by himself, no coach, and he's 23. Um, and Does he ever he, eat? Supposedly he wasn't even trying for two hours this time. He, he just kind of got there. Did you guys ever... Uh... Actually, I used to run, and, and uh, not, not like that, but I'd run like four or five miles. And I, one thing I learned early on was you, you have to time yourself because you never know by how you're feeling how well you're doing. Because I would run four miles, whatever it was, from the tree at Belmont around the park at Lawrence Avenue back to the tree. So I think it was almost exactly four miles, and I was doing 
like 31 and a half, then I would be 31.20. And yeah, I don't think you were running 13 miles an hour. No, though. no. When I was doing seven, seven and a half minutes, seven fifteen, something like that, which is not bad for a non-runner. Uh, right. So one day I'm out there and I, and I, when I finished, I was just dying, and I'm going, God, I'm getting, I'm getting worse instead of better. And I, I, I looked at the watch and I, it beat my old, old high by like 40 seconds. You don't realize that. Even though you say, well, what's the difference between two hours and two hours and 34 seconds? It's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's... it's 26 miles. No, but I'm saying yeah. that, that 30, 40, 50 seconds or one minute, you you think you could you could cover that real quick. Mm. You can't. It's a difference between running like, you know, 501 miles and five five-minute miles, which is a big deal when you get to that level in yeah. percentage terms. Anyway, John, we're talking about the uh, Middle East stuff, and just as a... I looked. At, I was surprised. Um, normally, when I say normally, when you, if you have insurrections like this, something that's what you want to call it, you could tie it to uh, sometimes a change in basic economics. Um, the, when we had my brother Dan a few years ago, was always talking about uh, the the cereal index, the United Nations uh, price index. When the cereal index gets over a certain price, essentially over certain. Because over a certain price, it means that it costs somebody over five hours a day, equivalent to five hours a day, in some of these uh, different countries to eat. And the average, this is a few years ago, the average uh, person only had five hours a day to spend on food. So when you got over five hours, it means that people on average were starting to go hungry. And last time this happened, when you started, you saw the Arab Spring, you saw breakouts just about everywhere. So when this happens on Saturday, I look to see if maybe some of that, and Greg was nice enough to do some research for me, that it's actually, even though the, the prices are high, they're actually a little down from where they were a year ago, right, Greg? So, I mean, it's, it, they're high enough to cause a problem, but not crisis stage. I mean, crisis stage would have been last January. And I also looked at the unemployment rate in Gaza, which is always ridiculously high, and it's 24 point something percent. But it's down from like you know twenty four to like twenty five, so it's it's horrible, but it's not record horrible either. So nothing in those numbers would lead you to believe that like Saturday was the day. I don't know. So what do you, um, what do you guys? But also years ago, I read this thing once about people who live like in refugee camps or whatever. As the rest of the world <clears throat> passes the whole situation by, <clears throat> I mean none of us. When you go out to whatever you're doing, you go out for a pizza, you're going out if you're a young person hoping to find somebody warm to sleep with that night, whatever it is, you're not thinking about people in the Baca Valley that were living in the tents for three generations. Yet if you're living in the Baca Valley, that's all you think about is living in this tent and why the hell am I still stuck here and what's going on. It's it's a whole different perspective than maybe we might have. So nothing on the economic side, long story short, don't tell it, Mike and John leads me to believe that Saturday was an economic spur. I mean, it's, it's bad all along, but nothing nothing got that much worse last month where this would start. So, what Mike's been talking about, it might have to be have to do with other places and other things. Does that make any sense, Mike? Yes, it does, Tom. And also, it, Saturday, I believe, was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. So, you know, that was a big. It was a tremendous tactical surprise uh, to the Israelis, 
and this attack was also a tremendous tactical surprise. Oh, that, that war was so. Was that Syria and Egypt, or was it one of the? I mean, I don't. It, it was both Syria and Egypt. Yes. Okay. And the Israelis and, encircled what? Like one of them, they totally outflanked one of them and encircled them in six days or something. Well, yes, and but then the you know the Israelis did respond eventually, and they took this. This is all about the search for a greater Palestine. You. You just alluded to it, Tom. Palestinians have been in refugee camps for roughly 75 years. Some of that's uh, their own leadership's fault. Well, it is their own leadership's fault. But some of it's the Brits and us, you know, continual alliance with the Israelis. The Israelis have a state, but the Palestinians do not have a state. You know, they're living in Syria. They're living in Jordan. They're living in the Gaza, and all of it is a poverty life. Yeah. What uh, I was reading, uh, I talked to John a little bit yesterday, Mr. Flanagan, who's been silent here so far, is uh, the assassination in 1995 of Rabin. I'm going to say that there's been a million assassinations in this world, most of which I don't even know about. I'm going to say that was one of the most watershed events in that area because he was all about the Oslo Peace Accords and everything else and as a matter of fact I, I googled assassination of Israeli leader and what do you think pops up was somebody had a question what is the most successful no that's the term they used assassination in modern history and it was this guy who shot and killed Rabin because it totally changed the direction of where Israel was going in terms of trying to find a peace now they may not have but it it would in terms of not even not even really trying after that, I mean because uh, that was sort of when uh, was he, was he the guy who went to Camp David with with Arafat was that Rabin with Clinton? No, I think it might have been uh, Menachem Begin. Begin, okay. Yeah. But uh, I mean it was Carter, yeah. Well, I thought uh, the yes, Arafat stuff was with Clinton. Yes, no, but it was Jimmy Carter started it. And, okay. uh, it's and it, it's when Arafat turned down the two-state solution with Clinton. Yeah. That uh, the troubles have be well continued. The troubles have continued, and I shouldn't use the term troubles because that's the Irish. So. Well, the because uh, I remember when when Clinton lost his second term, Rabin. Well, not lost. He when he was out of office, Rabin called him and said something about. You're a great man, and Clinton's response was, "I could have been, but you screwed it up." Which I think is probably pretty accurate, don't you think, Jen? Yeah. Well, yes, Verifet. He we're talking about a guy that deal changed every day, huh? Well, it's un it's unfortunate. Both sides are changing the deal all the time. So. Well, Tom, I, mean, I think you're you know you're right about you know the the. The financial or economic evidence is kind of fuzzy here about why now at this time this kind of uprising and you know for the ways it's being played out. Um, but I think there's a lot of reasons internally in Israel why um, Netanyahu is completely in battle now uh, and has been for some time. You know, extremely uh, divisive figure more more than ever probably in his political career. But this is a, a moment that he needs, you know, to you know keep his political life alive, and it's not accidental that he's calling it Israel's version of 
you know, the U.S.'s 9-11, I think a more appropriate comparison would be to Pearl Harbor, just as, you know, 9-11 was, you know, compared to Pearl Harbor even before it, we responded in the way we did. But the, the neocon advisors to Bush were openly saying the U.S. needs some kind of Pearl Harbor in order to, you know, accomplish what it wants to accomplish, meaning it had to let itself look like it was weak and was attacked, and there had to be, you know, a, a rallying of the troops, a rallying of public opinion, of, you know, foreign aid, whatever, to get the objectives that the, the neocons wanted. And, and it's always made me believe that there were pretexts for 9-11 that will never completely be investigated or exposed. Oh, no, no. Well, plus but, the, but fact the same thing here. I, I really think that you know, the Gaza has got to be the most surveilled piece of real estate on the planet. It has been, you know, since the Six Day War, probably. Well, and don't people come back I, and forth to work and everything? I mean, is it, well, I mean, everything. There's checkpoints that go. The, the people who live there and, and work, you know, in, inside or if they work outside of Gaza, you know, the. the machinations to get through the checkpoints and the you know clearance and the the, the you know the inspections that take place i just can't believe that in a place that small and so heavily controlled by israel spies galore that this could have been launched without the, the active participation of factions within the, the israeli military who you know agreed to look the other way and i i would make almost book on it that Netanyahu was, you know, please do this because this is the only way I can you know, put the factions that are after me now to rest and we can all unify behind a common enemy. And you, you read Haaretz that, you know, the, or the Times of Israel today, and it's it's the expected response. Everybody feels like this is, you know, a, a fight for survival. They're going to forget for the moment whatever objections they had to Netanyahu and this is you know, what politicians have always well, if you're done, a, you, you make yourself the victim. And, um, well, if you're alone, or as, as Mike, yeah. I agree completely with Mike that, you know, we're going to be dragged into this and we can't fight a war on one front, let alone three fronts, but it's going to mean sending them money that we don't have and weaponry that we may need before we're through. And for what end? I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of aghast at the whole thing. Well, if you're a law and order candidate, you want a crime spree right where you're running, right? Yeah. You can milk it, you know, nine ways to Sunday. Mike, when, uh, what, did, what did your your hero, Ram, say, never waste a good crisis? <laughs> it, that's your Chicago guy, Tom. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and you're right. This is a great crisis. But, uh, it, you know, it's unfortunate there are, you know, you have, and it's not the distraction of the border. You have the border. You have Ukraine, now you have Israel, and next comes Russia. Yeah. So, or uh, next comes Taiwan, excuse me. Well, two things. First of all, Mike, while you're here, two, two things. There, I've gone to a couple of these uh, APAC uh, things. Um, I was a guest of, uh, actually, an African-American gentleman. I was the, the honky at the table. Um, no, we, we, he bought a table, and there was a few of us there. And it was actually... Amazingly educational. APEC is the American Israeli Political Action Committee, right? And they're very seriously into uh, lobbying. And uh, I learned an awful lot about lobbying, how hard it is. Because if you join, if you if you give them like ten grand, which I wasn't about to, but if you did, you're in. 
and you can go to the main meeting in Washington, they'll actually give you uh, a couple of representatives' names, and they'll organize a meeting. Like if it's twenty grand, you might get a senator, but you can go, and of course you can push your business when you're there. Uh, you know, nothing against that, but you you're supposed to lobby that person towards either going to Israel, and all, they always had a bunch of uh, people that representatives and maybe a senator at these meeting at these dinners, and uh, and and they would say the difference there is. I mean, the U.S., you, you think of defense, you think of the Chinese, you think of, you know, Germany during the war. There's always like an ocean between you and them kind of thing. Obviously, you know, if you're way older, you, know, you could have had the French and Indian War, which wasn't, that wasn't really true, but that's a long, long time ago. He said, over there, you basically, they'll take you up on the Golan Heights and you say, there's the enemy. <laughs> and it's like, it's a whole different program, just the idea that they're like, everybody's that close, which this obviously shows. But the other question, Mike, is what, of course, that wasn't really a question, when they say thousands of rockets, what are they talking about in terms of what what exactly is a rocket that they're it's and, and and who makes those things and who they buying them from or can you make them yourself? I mean, what what are they even talking about? I think they can make them themselves, and it's the equivalent of if you remember during uh, operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm, Scud missiles are very crude rockets. You know, they're dumb rockets. They're not guided missiles and what the what all of the parties in the Middle East the uh, you know Hamas and they get the dumb rockets and then they're trying to as someone said yesterday on the television they're trying to saturate the umbrella that the Israelis have put over Israel so Iron Dome they're just trying to break through Iron Dome and every once in a while you're going to have and more than once in a while now, uh, you're going to have rockets get through Iron Dome and then wreak destruction in Israel proper. And it, they, you know, they're sending people to bomb shelters, essentially. They're, they're keeping the Israeli forces on alert by continuing to throw rockets into Israel. But in terms and, of like a mortar, how much more powerful are they? Like, like 10 times a mortar, 20 times? I'd say 10 or 20 times more, yes. And they launched out of like a, 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 can you launch them out of a truck, a Jeep? or I mean, we're... Well, they, yes, they can. Scuds used to be launched out of trucks, and I'm sure that they, Hamas has fixed positions. I'm sure the Syrians have fixed positions, and Syri- Hezbollah Syri- probably has fixed positions by now. The Syrians were part they- of this as well, right? What's that? The Syrians were part of this as well, correct? A little. Yes, Hezbollah was part of it. Not the Syrians per se, but Hezbollah. Uh, well, Hezbollah is uh, a Shia terrorist group that's uh, headquartered in Lebanon. So from Lebanon, just as you were talking about the Bekaa Valley, they can lob missiles into the uh, into northern Israel. So it. It bec- it's this multi-front war that the uh, Shia militias want to wage. Even though it's been o- it's been off the uh, every time I I think of this, I think of my uh, one of my favorite ladies, uh, Tina Fey, and when the movie was it something Foxtrot and something something, where she was in Afghanistan and how you had to do uh, something nastier every day to get it on the front page. I haven't seen Syria anywhere near the newspaper or anything I read forever. What? What is their condition? Are they like in four spot, four parts now? Is everybody just still doing their thing over there? And 
Really yes, good. they are still doing their thing. And uh, okay, so the um, geez, what's the guy? I can't remember the the president or the dictator of Syria's name. Assad, Assad. Excuse me, Assad. Yeah, he is a an Ali white, and that's a, min a, a minority uh, sect in Syria. So. You know, he, he he is essentially staying in power by persecuting the majority, which are, I believe, Sunnis. So, but he only controls what forty, fifty, sixty percent of the place. Other people, yeah, he only controls a you know a very small portion of of Syria. But he's you know he's still in power. But now Hezbollah has their own territory, for lack of a better term, right? That's correct, and and there are other militias in Syria that have their own territory, the Kurds for one, and the the Turks, you know, want to uh, go after the Kurds that are in Syria. So so all of that's in play too. God, what a mess! Yeah, I mean the whole area truly is a mess. All right, so they're coming from the one end, uh, and, and the Assad has no discipline over that, which is. Technically, still Syria, but really isn't. It's like a, it's like a okay. Assad really doesn't have much to do with this. It's it's really the Iranians through their control or lack of control over the Hezbollah. The Hezbollah is a Shia militia that's headquartered in Lebanon, and and they are allied with Hamas now, and they're they're essentially uh, you know working for the Iranians. So, so Hezbollah, you know, is is lobbing their rockets in, and they are going to stage an attack. and And they were part of the planning that took place in Beirut, the two or three weeks ago. Okay, John, is it nice we have Mike here? Because I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Did you? I don't know. But I kind of knew they were all over there doing something, but I didn't know who was allied with who. And so, what are we doing in Syria? We still have people there, right? What are we doing? Uh, we're trying to keep peace between the Kurds and the Syrians and the Shia and the Sunni. How's that working out? Uh, it, it, I'm not sure how well it's working. I'm so far out of touch with uh, my old comrades or colleagues that, uh, you know, it's it, that also, you know, Syria is is also a, a bit of a mess because Assad wants to stay in power. I mean, is, is there ever and it gets no no press coverage at all, Mike. You know, it's just I never read anything about it. I never hear about it. There was much hoopla when Obama sent troops in, but that's you know ten years ago now, and it 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 doesn't warrant any headlines anywhere that I can see. Well, you don't give a thought to anybody still in the back of Valley or anybody living in Gaza, twenty five percent unemployment. Whenever you have twenty five percent unemployment and males eighteen to thirty five, you got a problem. Well, Tom, there are people that have lived their entire lives in refugee camps in Jordan, in Syria, and, you know, Gaza. As you said, the Israelis have stopped letting people out of Gaza, and the Egyptians won't let them escape either, because the Egyptians don't want the problem either. So the people in Gaza are essentially trapped. Yeah, and They're going to take... You know, so many civilian casualties, as will Israel, and all of this. 
And the, the people who are going to sustain the greatest losses are the most powerless of all in all this struggle. It isn't like anybody's factoring in their suffering whatsoever. This is what, what I have oh, found no, so no. distasteful about the whole thing. It's, um, it's They're merely becoming pawns, and nobody... This, I, I blame both Israel and Hamas. They don't care about their own constituents particularly. They'll lose as many people as they have to to get whatever political, you know, or geopolitical, uh, you know, ends that they want to get. And they don't really care about the bloodbath they're creating. They don't feel for their own civilians. Well, how many think. people, really if, Mike, if you were to guess, I mean, if, say of Israel, these guys kill, say, a thousand people in uh, in Israel, which I hope they don't, but they, I think they sort of have. Well, uh, they already have. Yeah, well, right yeah. now the numbers are up to 1,100. Yeah. Uh, there's a few Americans in there. So Israel pounds back at Gaza and turns off, you know, the electricity and all the other stuff that they can. How much how many of the leaders are gonna be affected or just some, some poor bastard living in Gaza, all of a sudden the thing lands on his head and he's like, I'm not even part of this. Well, some of the leaders will be affected, Tom. But John, uh you know, just a there's a lot of the Palestinian leaders are safe in other places. Right. You know, and this is all about, this is essentially a Palestinian, well, it could become a Palestinian youth uprising, like the the Al-Aqsa Brigades a few years ago, and that was in the wake of the Arab uprising. So the, you know, the, (laughs) the leadership of the Palestinians just wants chaos. Right. And it it is happening, and the Israelis, their reaction will be as Netanyahu's has been, as John alluded to earlier. Netanyahu is as embattled as he's ever been, and he's got to deal with an ultra nationalist movement, and the ultra nationalists are part of his problem. You're never going to have peace in the Middle East as long as the Israelis keep settling in the West Bank. So this is just a, it's such a knot of issues. And without a a state solution for the Palestinians, this will continue. I still think it has to be brokered by us someday. I actually think the Ukrainian things have to be brokered by us someday because there's no way on earth... Ukrainian guy and Putin are ever going to sit down and cut a deal. Well, you're been exactly right. And, yeah. and do you see Biden being able to do no, any no. of that? No, I don't no. see any desire to do it either. I don't. I don't. This this could have been, you know, from the get go, it could have been. I, I wouldn't say foreclosed necessarily, but there was absolutely no interest in any kind of, you know, negotiated settlement or, or ceasefire or anything, and uh, open opposition to that in this country you know how dare we do business with russia i'm I'm sorry you know if we're fighting a proxy war and you don't care about how many casualties you you know roll the only alone how many people i think the only over there we got to go to break here but i think the only person with a a phone line to putin and the ukrainian guy is probably the white house and so if everyone's going to come from anybody nobody's using that line no but i mean it's i think that that's somebody's going to have to get some sort of a God, whatever a fair deal deal would be, somebody's got to put together a, a deal, put it on the table, and say, "Putin, this saves a little bit of face for you, which you know we don't care about, but it does a little bit." 
the other guys you got to say take it or we're not we're not giving you any more arms that's uh, the threat is going to have to be that at some point i think just on a, on a simpleton's way well Zelensky is not going to settle and i agree with Zelensky. he's not going to settle for any part of ukraine the former ukraine being occupied by russians he's going to have to settle with whatever the people here in europe say that we're going to cut him off he doesn't take it oh. well they uh europe is leaning more and more to not cutting him off so you know we'll see how all of this plays out well i mean if it comes down to the russians keep their port or something like that you're going to say look that's the deal or i mean i I, i'm just saying i mean it russia won't give up Crimea, Tommy. that's what i mean well i mean okay neither is going to give up something but someday it's got to end doesn't it you would hope not without holding everybody's feet to the fire that's that's exactly my point we got to go to break here. SP Futures down 27, NZV's down 123. So we're down, but not getting any worse. Uh, be right back, Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. (laughs) Yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. Five six. That's seven zero eight three four nine three four five six. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. Calm is gonna get you 
knock you right in the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead Why the world is thinking out The, uh, John Lennon's birthday Kevin had suggested working class hero Ah We'll get, him, we'll get him next birthday. Next, How about that? Or next break. You know, you're, you're good at this. Yeah, uh, John Lennon would have been uh, 83 years uh, 83 years old today. Well, yeah. Uh, I still remember that night. God, we were all we played basketball. We went back to somebody's house to watch a game and a few beers, and all of a sudden, found, found he got killed. It just talk about putting a, a pal a, a Paul on the on the evening's festivities. Definitely, definitely. It was uh, I mean, everybody felt awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, you remember that night, Mike? I can't really hear him, but he, anyway, SP Futures up down 24, and as if he's down 107, no, it's kind of where they've been. That was, uh, what, what year was that? 1980, December 1980. Wow. I mean, I remember, uh, that was a, that was a bad night, and I, I'm not, you know, miss, as, huge, as huge a fan of music as the rest of you guys are, but still, it was, uh, like, God, how could somebody do something like that? Now it happens all the time. It's just, uh, what do you think of the, our buddy, uh, one of our, our pals we hang with, uh, his his wife has given him no end of grief because he lives about three blocks from this nightclub on the north side. What they shoot eight people the other night, Greg? Yeah, Erie yeah, Street. Yeah, he lives at uh, Franklin and Superior. So this is essentially Franklin. It's one block. Yeah. I mean, if he had his windows open, all you would have heard was pop, pop, pop. How many? The videos are. I mean, yeah. it's 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 like there's no consequence. They just walk out in the middle of the street with. Yeah. I think it was pistols, but. Um, sad. And then, again, then the cops who were all involved in the crash. Four, in the south side. Yeah, four, four of them, I think, are or were critical. The shooter, the people got shot. Yeah. The cops were had to be extricated from the squad car in the south side. Yeah, they were. It was pretty bad. They, and one of the state senator hit. lady was her husband, right, Jen? Yep. And uh, I mean, this is it's out of control. Out of, totally out of control. And uh, I don't know what the people are planning on doing about it. It doesn't look like anything to me, but uh, at least not so far. The alderman also got in a fight at Boss Bar. Did you see that? Oh, no. <laughs> where's, where's Boss Bar? I think I've been there. Uh, where is it? <laughs> I think somebody took a swig at him or something. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I didn't hear about that, Greg. <laughs> what what, what, what Brendan was this? Riley. Hmm. When was this? Oh, Brendan Riley. Taking it, it to the streets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to get in the in the floor, if you're going to be out with duh people, I mean, that's, you know, those kinds of things have to happen yeah. once they happen once in a while. So, uh, Mike, we're going to have to have you, uh, as this goes on during the week, we're going to have to have you on call, bud, because obviously you know way more about this than the rest of us. Uh, but good stuff. Thank you. Uh, what? Uh, it says Saturday, Saturday evening. Saturday evening. Brendan uh, Riley, yeah, said the guy swung and missed, but the, the medical or the CPD... Information Center said a city alderman was struck in the face and refused medical attention. Ah. <laughs> well, you know. Boss Bar is, is right there, you know, on yeah. Clark, 420 North Clark. Oh, that's right. I've been in there. That's right. That's about 500 steps from where the mass shooting was. Well, you know, that's uh, 500. You know, you know, you know it's, that place, you know, you know, it used to be next to that was one of those... Uh, Peep show kind of joints. Ooh, how'd you know that, Chief? Well, it had a huge sign. And, uh, yeah, peep show. Come on but what people want to do, you'd, you'd want to go sit outside at the boss bar and watch the people walk in and out, the women walk in and out of the peep show joint. 
guys would love to sit there and watch because they're good. That looking. was Chicago's tenderloin town. That's where, where John Wayne Gacy used to pick up hustlers. Oh and God! CWB says that Riley uh, was battered by a man outside Boss Bar in February 2021. Also, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. So I don't think I've ever been in the, the bar. I sat outside there a couple times. You were in the peep show place. No, um, uh, well, a totally wasted guy took a swipe at me and many others and missed. He battered an employee. I'm all good. That's what uh, that's what he said. Will you get him back? Uh, no. Well, what the hell? These guys came out of the middle of the street, out of Hubbard Street, and were yelling unintelligibly. I had no idea what they were trying to say. I was trying to hear what they were saying. What are you saying? I kind of walked away because it looked like they were getting aggressive. Um, okay, I don't want to ask what, what they look like, but uh, I won't go there. I'll just, I'll just stay away from there. Mm. Uh, do we still have Mike? Yes, sir, you do. I say, Mike, I think you're going to be on a call all week with this, so kind of be ready. Yeah, I heard you, Tom. It just keep in mind um, that the leaders of Hamas do not, they really don't believe in Israel's right to exist. And some of this entire issue is a, is a fight between the Palestinians. So Hamas probably doesn't acknowledge the Palestinian authorities um, uh, authority however you want to phrase that. So you know all of this it's all interrelated and uh, you know they don't Hamas does not want to give an inch to the Israelis. So that's that's where some of their attitude comes from. But are we absolutely wrong to say Hamas and Palestinians are the same thing? They're not, right? Mm. No, they're not. That's exactly right. Hamas is a uh, well is a recognized terrorist organization, and they are not the same as the Palestinian Authority. No, but I think there are a lot of the Palestinian youth now that agree with Hamas's position on most things because they you know they have been an embattled uh population for roughly 75 years so if if the israelis take 90% of this out on the palestinians it's probably not the right thing to do well that yes that's probably true but you know as john said you know, Netanyahu's in a pickle. I mean, he's in more of a pickle than uh, he's got to satisfy his ultra-nationalist portion of his coalition. Sort of like when we uh, 9-11 happened and there were, what, 18 Saudis and two Iranians and we went and conquered Afghanistan and Iraq? Yeah. Or the day after Pearl Harbor, Tom, when America first, the isolationist action mm-hmm. collapsed completely within hours. Pearl they so did what? The country country was unified like it had never been yeah. before. So it's uh it's crazy stuff. Um what uh in the midst of all this kind of mess we had the market was down pretty heavy and we had a big update on Friday with the labor numbers, uh which a lot of people don't and I you know, I, I'm I'm still con- I don't get how these numbers I mean I mean Carl's kinda going nuts with uh the government all of a sudden cutting off yet another number that he looks at. This whole idea, I, I never really thought that the 
information cutoff would come from the left. I always thought that would come from the right, but talk about being, you know, wrong again. Uh, I'm, I'm still cannot put these two things together, and then Greg might have been one of the first people that tossed it at me, is if allegedly we have a million or two more million people working from the beginning of the year, and everybody's hourly wages are up, how the hell are the income tax receipts from individuals to the government down? How could how could both both of those numbers be correct? And what could possibly be going on with people's income tax that they're paying less to the government if they're allegedly more people are working and are making more? I mean, how could those numbers possibly not match up somehow? I cannot figure this out at all. And I, do you guys have a stab at it? Because I, I can't figure it out. Well, Tom, you know, I have said it to you many times in text messages, liars figure and figures lie. So um, the, the <laughs> our current administration just keeps manipulating numbers. And maybe they're counting part-time jobs in that 336,000. So you have several people that have two or three part-time jobs, and that's how you get to... 336,000. Well, the establishment sur- survey definitely does that. Because if, if you're calling the establishment, the way I don't know if you guys will go over it real quick. I'm sure you, you guys know, but the household survey is the one that Carl and I look at more than the establishment. One, the one you see on TV is the establishment survey. So if somebody calls PTI, and it, which you know, I don't know if anybody's ever been called, by the way, but uh, if uh, somebody calls PTI and said, How many people you have working? We will say five. And how many did you have working last week? Five. Okay, well, that's fine. You got five. Uh, but if you call somebody's, but and if you call uh, Greg's Pizza and say, how many people do you have working? And he says six. One of them might be somebody who leaves PTI and goes to work for his pizza joint. So that person is now double counted. So that can happen in the establishment survey. Uh, in the household survey, if you call, you know, John Flanagan's house and his wife answers the phone and says, how many people in the house are working? One. Well, Mike Jack could have four jobs, but he's he's working. So that there is a difference between how those two things settle up, uh, and, and and that's that's part of it. So what, what you're talking about could very well be be uh, be true, but still, you would think that with a million and some people, it can't be that. It's, it still seems odd to me how, how they how they could both be be that way. But I you know I was listening to. Uh, one of the uh, some representative, Mr. Mr. Right Wing guy, and uh, and the uh, one one of the shows this this weekend, and he's talking about um, the money, or he was talking about inflation, and how Americans are outraged since since Joe Biden got to be in office that he, uh, you know, the the inflation every single every single month since he's been in office. His, people's money is worth less than it was the month before, and everybody's losing. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to say that, uh, when, when did Joe get in office? Uh, January of 21? The money, su- yes, the money right, supply yeah. was 19 trillion 600, and today it's 20 trillion 865. All right, so it's up a trillion bucks. Now, when Trump got in office, I'm going to say, well, not even when he, I'm going to say in a, April of, uh, when did he get in? August of uh, 19, January 19? 2017. January of 2017. All right, this thing only goes back to August of 18. The number was 14.1, and when he left, which was January of 21, it was 19, make that, uh, 19.4. So it was up 25, 30% while he was in office. It's up 
10%, 8% since Biden's been in office. Now, the entire move, almost all the entire move, now COVID was in there, and I'm not, but, but if, if you're going to pop out a figure like that, I, uh, I, you guys are all, uh, you know, you went to Catholic school and had the catechism and learned the Ten Commandments. When you say you're not supposed to bear false witness, right, meaning you're not supposed to lie, it seems to me that you can lie worse by telling half the story than you can by outright lying. And this guy's yeah. saying during Biden's administration, every month, the inflation has been there and it, it is, this person has less money than they had the month before. We get that. But you would think that you'd also mention, <laughs> oh, by the way, in the four years before, it happened to an even greater degree. Now, of course, there was COVID and other stuff, but you can't just start the story whenever you feel like it. Just saying. But people do. And well, very, unfortunately, people do, and that's the way politicians operate. Um, does it strike you? I mean, it's, you know, you don't want to be this old guy, young guy, because we're not young anymore. Although I think Chance probably the oldest. Um, I'm going to say the people who from World War II that served when we were younger seem to have more of a camaraderie, and they didn't try and BS each other as much. I mean. You didn't, you didn't give a bunch of grief to the guy across the aisle if the guy was a destroyer commander in the South Pacific or, or was or was an infantryman somewhere. Even a, I mean, you had respect for people. If you didn't, you maybe got your eye dotted. There's none of that now. These people don't have any respect for each other, it doesn't appear, does it? Why is that? No, well, they don't have a lot to be respectable about. <laughs> well, I mean, that's part of it, but still. But, I mean, there was a whole, you know, generation of, people in, in public life who had, you know, their, their war records that they ran on, you know, and survived on in politics. And it, it was a code of honor that, you know, you didn't a- attack the people who had all banded together and done what, what they had to do and risen to the occasion. And, the, you know, the greatest generation, Tom Brokaw book puts this, you know, front and center of these, this was a special class of people in American history, which, which I don't buy. I think there's always been people you know, that qualifies the greatest generation looking backwards from that generation in history. Um, people rise to the occasion. But but now we don't, we have, you know, any military record that people are going to, you know, talk about today. It's, it's Tammy Duckworth, for example, um, with, you know, I would say a controversial record. It's not quite clear exactly what happened to her or where her injuries came from, but she, she was able to parlay that into a Senate seat with Rahm Emanuel's help. Um, the generation that fought in Vietnam came away scarred emotionally and, you know, politically for, you know, having even been in the war, and they were reviled by people when they came back home. I mean, it was a totally different oh, yeah. feeling that people had for, for people with these kind of service records, and it was a, a, a disgrace. But um, I do think the country doesn't have anything like the agreement that it once had about here's how you prove yourself, and we'll, we'll agree that if you did this and fought for your country and, you know, lived to tell about it, you know, raised a family and all that, you know, you get some kind of special treatment and and generations since that have pretty much been denied that kind of way of building residence. I, uh, I'm going to say, Jan, that the, I mean, we were both young and well, so was Mike, but it, the World War II generation was totally different. Mm. You never heard those guys talk about it, only amongst themselves. I mean, my uncle's attitude was the heroes didn't come home, we just went over and did a job and it's over, we don't want to talk about it. I don't, I don't know of any of those people that, that, that dangled their, their medals to run for office. 
not like the Vietnam people, not like McCain and a few other people. And certainly since then, anybody, everybody does. They, they, I don't, I don't know. Those guys didn't do that at all. You didn't, you didn't see them writing books. You didn't see them doing all this stuff and proclaiming themselves. Well, I mean, but JF, JFK, let's, let's be fair. I mean, he, he capitalized on his war record, and his, his father, his father did, him, sure, yeah. You know? yeah. Well, he was yeah. one of. I'm saying the regular guys that you and I knew. Well, and Bob Dole capitalized on his war record, was, and George Bush yes. capitalized on his well, war they, record. It was, yes. they, they capitalized on it, but they didn't do it. It, it was part of their history. And people respected them for it, but they didn't run around telling you what they did all day. It was it, it was kind of a different. No, because everybody had done it, and people weren't, yeah. weren't particularly impressed because they had their own family members to tell them. But it, it's even more thrilling. It, stories. it clearly was part of their biography. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, how do you, how do you not realize that George Bush was like the youngest aviator, wasn't he? I mean, it, that, that's a plus, I, I think. I mean, but he didn't tell me that. It was just part of it. You know, what I'm saying he. I didn't see. I never once heard him brag about it. Is my point. Mm. But he, you know, he wore the insignia as if he had every right to, which he didn't. Which he, you know, well, so I mean, that was all. That was just. There, it's now being used to immunize yourself from um, some kind of, you know, attack from the other side. And Pete Buttigieg is an example of somebody who you know, never saw combat, but he, you know, I watched him being, you know, when he participated in the, the run for the president of the DNC by the chairman of the DNC back in 2016 or whatever, and he just said, look, look at this checklist. I'm a veteran, you know, I'm a, I'm a gay man, blah, 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 blah. What, the whole thing, identity politics, and with the, the military thrown in as if I got you there, because nobody's going to be able to say that up here. And I thought, well, this is not really why people fought in World War II, so that you could check a box off when you got to run for public office. Um, and the rest of what you're saying you're running on are things you didn't even achieve, it's things you pretty much inherited or you know developed uh, thin air. And it isn't like there's qualifications here. So it's just become an, another way of, of kind of giving the illusion well, I, that you've seen there was danger a, or whatever. There was a string of, uh, behave, so. you know, when I was on the trading floor, you guys can only imagine how many people I knew, right? Uh, there was a string when a whole bunch of guys lost their parents, right? I mean, you know, we all got to an age and they all started dropping like flies, basically. And I went to, I don't know how many wakes, and I had met these guys' dads, and every one of them had these string of medals next to the casket, and I'm going, God, I, I don't know, your dad was a destroyer commander for three years? Oh, yeah. None of these guys ever, they never, they didn't wear that on a shoulder. None of them did, that I knew. I, I mean, no. No, I know it would have been considered tasteless because it wasn't that special. Though. Yeah, because every day there, 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 there were enough people who have done that and more who didn't get any thanks or you know never even wanted to talk about it. They're just kind of silent heroes. One of the ladies, uh, she was boy, what a terrific lady. She was the plant manager assistant at PCW One, the Pullman thing. Her name was Ellen. I don't know, but she she's five two, hundred and five pounds on a bad day, and. uh so Bob Johnson says to me, she was one of the best welders. They were building tanks or whatever the hell they were building at Pullman plant. And I said, what was that all about? She goes, guys were overseas. We had to do it. I did it. I was younger. I was so happy when they came back. That's not a woman's job. At my, my, my weight, picking pigs of metal up all day long and welding them, my, my job is here. That's You guys are supposed to do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, she said, but when it was needed, we did it. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't a fun day, it, you know, because I'm not that. She goes, I'm not that strong, basically. I mean, she said, and she didn't talk about it. Somebody had to tell me about it. I mean, it was just a. Uh, everybody pitched in, and when it was over, they were happy. It was over. Went back to their regular life, most if they could. If you're overseas, you had a lot of 
what they used to call in those days, Mike, uh, battle fatigue. And then it became, uh, uh, what, the traumatic stress. PTSD, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but well, there was something in the middle, too, wasn't it? There was something between. Shell shock. Yeah, yeah, shell shock, yeah. That was the Vietnam thing, right? Mm. Anyway, so, Mike, we, we got you on call, buddy. Uh, Jan, we're going to talk a bit more here, and then Nancy's coming at him. And we got to talk about some real estate, because uh, it looks like that's leaking in a few areas. And there was a big thing uh, in the paper this weekend about uh, these downtown buildings, evidently, as we've been speculating. Uh, Mike, if, when you were here, uh, a lot of downtown buildings now are in foreclosure, and clearly they're not able to pay the taxes they once paid. And uh, how how is that going to get from the to the pockets of homeowners because it's got to go someplace, according to the city's mind anyway. And I'm wondering how that all... Works its works its way out or works its way through, and uh, you know it's. And uh, Nancy will give us some ideas. Uh, the leak in the deck. Do you see that the the average interest that people are paying on credit cards is now like over twenty two percent. It's up six percent in the year because if you include all the all the uh, and I would say how did how did it go up that much? Well, evidently if you include any of the special deals, it's really hard to get a special deal now. Like like they they were available, you know, zero percent interest for a year if you come to my credit card kind of thing. I think those are. I used to get two or three of those a day. I haven't gotten one in a while. So obviously that stuff has been cut off. But twenty two percent is pretty freaking high, isn't it? It's, it's well, like, and I I've read somewhere else, Tom, that it was twenty five percent. This is just uh, you know a brief summary. You know, John talked about uh, things about how we view generations. Well, we've gone from the greatest generation now to the entitled generation. So we've just got to figure out a way to get commitment from everyone in the nation instead of the polarization that we experience. Well, it's interesting how some of these uh, different Supreme Court decisions that they're supposed to be apolitical, which is such BS, I can't go there. The uh, the whole idea of the credit card, so a lot of states used to have usury laws at like 12%. The Supreme Court said that Illinois cannot enforce uh, a usury law if the bank is in like South Dakota or someplace or North Carolina. That's why all your, your credit card bills go to North Carolina or South Dakota because if, if the bank there wants to charge, even though it's it was like the first national bank of Chicago creates a branch in, or a, a center in South Carolina. They can charge over, to, and the Supreme Court said that was okay. How 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 does that match up match up with like the states' rights stuff that all these guys are pushing? I mean, it, it seems like it. It seems like it's a business rights thing that everybody's pushing, you know, and, and let the other people be damned. Anyway, so uh, we'll be able to talk about that next time around, Mike. We'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this war for a while, unfortunately. SB Futures down 25, Nancy Futures on 107. John, hang around. Uh, we'll be back with Nancy yep. and John talking about real estate and uh, foreclosed buildings and hopefully some good news Nancy has. We'll be right back, Stocks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Right now. Are you listening to me? As soon as you're born, they make you feel small. By giving you no time instead of it all. Hello, North Bay Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. They burn on the board. S&P futures down 28, and NASDAQ futures down 118. They've been here pretty much since last night. So the market has uh, decided after a big day on Friday that this much haircut has to uh, is there because of uh, uh, the breakout in the Middle East, but it doesn't seem to be getting any worse. And I guess we're kind of waiting for more news. So that's kind of where we're at. Do we have Nance? Do we have Nancy? Maybe we we do indeed, yes. Nancy, you there? Are you muting yourself? What are you doing? Well, I don't know what you. I don't know if you lost her or what happened to her. We'll get her in a second. Yeah. All right. So, Jan, uh, what did what'd you make of all the stuff that Mike told us? Pretty. I didn't, I didn't realize there was that many levels going on there, and the Hamas was so much different than the Palestinian Authority. I mean, I guess I should have known. Right. That. I think the, Mike is, is absolutely right. The Palestinians and in all of this. Are, are still just a beleaguered, you know, body of people who are living in, in quarantine, you know, in, in detention camps. Um, and the, the Palestinian Authority has hardly been, I would say, effective in giving them any better shake than what they've had, you know, since, you know, Israel became a state. And ha- Hamas is certainly not 
interested in, in representing them. I don't, I don't, I don't think it, if there were a Palestinian state, I don't think you could get Hamas to agree to where it would be or how it would be administered. So, and they're certainly not somebody you want advocating, I don't think, for you at this point. So the, the Palestinians are the, I mean, I, I don't want to leave, leave out the Israeli civilians too, because they're really taking it hard oh, God, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a disaster for, for, for the people who are the most innocent in all of this, who have nothing at stake other than a livelihood. Well, all the Israeli so people know, that is, wake up in the morning Saturday and all of a sudden they were dead, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah, or, or their children are kidnapped or whatever. I mean, I, but th- this is a situation, you know, not that different from the, the one with Ukraine and Russia in that there's nobody who has any interest in seeking common ground to stop this kind of bloodshed of innocent people. The, the people pulling the strings for all this are perfectly safe in their bunkers or in their executive mansions. Nobody is, you know, worried about their outcome in all of this. It's a perpetual um, war. They're, they're, yeah. yeah. I don't, uh, this is, uh, Nancy with us? I'm here. Hi, I'm we're, here. We're, we're talking to, just to hear about this thing, and I'm going to talk some real estate, but it, it sure seems like, what is the a horrible thing to say, but the, the people we all know, it's, it's in our DNA. I'm going to say it's, boy, you know, I'm not going to leave people out, but uh, the whole idea of the, may, maybe it's the Judeo-Christian tradition, maybe it's the European, U.S. rule of law, whatever it is, no matter how much, even though we, we scream and yell here about not caring about this person or that person, the fact is virtually everybody here in the U.S., cares about people wherever they are and, and care they care about the 1100 people that are dead I mean I, there are does seem to be parts of the world where nobody gives a crap and I, I cannot as Lou always tells me chief you can't continue to put your mindset into other people's mindsets because they just don't have it I mean uh, you, you read the part in Marshall's book that I never would have guessed when he was over trying to broker a peace between uh, Mao and Chiang Kai-shek and basically called Truman and said, you got to get me out of here. These guys, they don't care how many people are dead. They don't care about any of the stuff we normally... I'm, I'm just ineffective over here because everything that I... everything I care about and know about, these guys don't care about, basically. And, you know, I can't imagine you know, that Putin... Well, you know, it's 100,000 Russians, so what? They came out of the prisons in some place. Everybody's got to die someday. I mean, I can't even... I don't know how you even discuss stuff with people who feel that way. I mean, none of my instincts would even cover, carry the room at all. It doesn't appear, or yours, or Nancy's, or, or Matt's. I don't even do that. I mean, uh, unless you come in with such a high-handed... I mean, Truman seemed to understand Stalin a lot better than Roosevelt. Now, why? Because he was... I mean, I have no idea why Truman was... Was he just able to put himself in a, the mind of a despot more than Roosevelt or something? I mean, Roosevelt never really believed that anybody could be that bad, I don't think. That's why he got taken a couple times, but Truman never did. I mean, Truman was—he stood right up to Stalin, right? He seemed to understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, the way Truman came up through the Kansas City machine, um, and you know, and just as a as a reader of people's you know personalities, I mean, he he fought in World War One with, and he was absolutely beloved by his troops. So I, I mean, he wasn't maybe like a George Marshall, but I wouldn't say he was in a totally different class either, whereas Roosevelt did not. And Roosevelt was pretty much insulated from a lot of the horrors. You know, he had to read about them. Truman looked through them. So, um, well, he was he in the Navy, but before... People, so. He was in the Navy before he saw any action, he got polio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, he, yeah. I don't think he ever served. 
Oh yeah, he, he was, was in the secretary Navy. of the Navy. No, no, he was in the Navy, but I don't think he was. No, 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 he was. He was. He was in the Navy before he uh, before he got polio. I, I mean, Matt looked that up, but I'm. Well, he was, he was secretary of the Navy under Wilson. Yeah, but he, he parlayed that into the vice presidential run in 1920, and it got skunked by Harding. And you know, there was a big part in uh, Nancy. Did you read uh, Winds of War? Was nope. It, it was. Uh, by the way, that's that's a that's kind of a must, I think, for you one of these days, because you would. It's. Uh, it, it 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 definitely teaches you that wars don't happen like on a well. I'm gonna say on a Saturday. This one did. They're they're months and years in the making. Okay. I mean, all the time. And uh, anyway, but but the guy, the, the main character in the book, Pug Henry, was a lieutenant on a battleship or something, and he used to like to, to jog him around the decks. And he came and he used to wash himself off with the saltwater hose. And and uh, Roosevelt, when he was like a, a commander or something, when he was young, came by and he sprayed him all with the water. <laughs> he got he got it dressed down by his. So years later, when he went into the White House, and you know, and Roosevelt's now president in the wheelchair. First thing he remembered, it, he said something like, Pug, you're still spraying people with the water hose. <laughs> or something along because he remembered that Pug had sprayed him with the water hose. But I think he was, he was, he was real Navy, I think. I don't know if, I don't think he didn't go to uh, Academy or anything, John, but anyway, man, uh, look this, that up to see yeah, if I'm right. this is according to the FDR library.org, he was diagnosed with polio in 1921. Yeah, so before that, was he in the, was he in the Navy? Before that, yeah, 1913, he was in the Navy, so. so yeah, the I, I thought he was. came afterwards. Um. Yeah, because it was it was adult onset polio for him. He was already. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did he do, Nancy? Didn't he? He was a big swimmer. He's a powerful man. He he was in Nantucket or someplace, and he swam from one island to the other. Got out of the water on a Friday night, felt a chill, and on Sunday he was paralyzed. Yeah, it was really it was horrible. It was adult onset, wasn't it, Chad? He was yeah, Campobello Island, Bay of Fundy. Yeah, yeah but he was. Uh, he, but he was early 30s when he got it? Late 20s? Yeah, 39. Well, the, you know, the, the thinking now is that he had Guillain-Barre syndrome. Huh? Mm. Because okay. none, none of the, his symptoms that stuck with him are consistent with um, poliomyelitis. It, but they are very consistent with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Yeah, that's right. And that was even less understood than polio at the time. Is there a so difference? I think he may have been one's not treatable. Are either one of them treatable today? Once you get it, I mean, if you don't have a shot, no, I mean, you can alleviate some of the suffering, but I mean, Guillain Barre is, you know, is a big problem now, and it, it heavily linked to the to the COVID vaccines too. Mm. All right, so Nance, uh, what's the not, uh, not controllable? Nance, what's I've had? Uh, I was talking to Audrey this weekend, and they're still, still seemingly the prices are hanging up there. They're still bidding for places. There's, there's a shortage of houses on the market. Um, is the are all hands in the boat, or is the boat leaking a little bit here with these mortgages? Were they seven and a half now? Well, at least um, there, you know, everything is still the same. And um, it, we're coming into the time of year where people are not going to be listing or anything, so I think we're going to have a study period. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, what do you guys think is going to happen to the market now that we're having another war over there, and you know we are going to help them. Well, we're, oh, yeah. we're going to supply stuff to the, ex- to the extent. That by, I, I'm assuming we're going to sell it to them, but maybe not. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll print more money, Tom. <laughs> well, that's you know. That, that's you, you, you I that's agree. Gonna, we're we're going to be funding this one to the hill. So, I just. Uh, I mean, we are going to. True, we are going to fund it. Do you think we're going to send people? No. Well, we got a carrier. Isn't the Gerald Ford on its way to the Mediterranean? Um, so we got a carrier group that's on its way. So was it? Was it, was it already? Where was it? Was it? We're not going from a. 
are we going from uh, Norfolk or are we going from another part of the Mediterranean? It was unclear on the. They said they're sending a barrier group to the eastern Mediterranean. Does that mean they were in the western Mediterranean? We usually have a group in the Mediterranean, don't we? They usually have something. Yeah, I'm not sure if this was one was the one that was there or not, but I mean, they're, 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 I'm sure they're on high alert. So yeah. Um, well, how we didn't we really didn't. This is what the third. Is this the third or fourth Israeli war in our lifetime, Jan? We didn't. We never. We sent help and some of the other stuff, but we didn't send troops, did we? Well, no. we sent those. We sent our guys for the Patriot missiles and taught them how to train on those. Remember? Yeah, well, we did some of that. And, but what was the episode with the the uh, U.S. destroyer or frigate that got sunk? That now we think was actually sunk by the Israelis. What was that all about? Oh, the Liberty, the '67 war. Yeah. Well, and it was it it was destroyed by the Israelis because it was, you know, conducting surveillance on, you know, the expansion of the, the war. Uh, on the part of the Israelis, the Israelis didn't want that information shared, and and sank the boat. Uh, and I don't think there's too much doubt about. It, but they, they, I mean, it was, I hate to, it wasn't a friendly fire thing. They were out to destroy its its reconnaissance ability. So, yeah, um, it's a real sore spot in, in the, the navy to this day. Well, I don't, I don't think the Israelis need our help to take take out Hamas, do they? Well, they're saying that we're gonna, they're gonna get them from all sides. Egypt is gonna come. Hamas, Hamas is gonna come. I, and then Iran's gonna come. I doubt very. Well, I doubt very seriously Egypt's gonna be involved. They that that accord is going back a long time, hasn't it, Jen? It was a, a yeah, but I, I, a, I agree with Nancy. I mean, there's gonna be you know that Israel is already claiming you know they're exposed on this northern border with Hezbollah, as Mike well, was talking yeah, about. Mike says it, 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 Israelis. You know, we'll, we'll certainly you know use this as an opportunity to call in any chips it can to get, and they have to do this to satisfy the you know the war faction in their own country. Well, too. how many how many countries over my geography is bad? How many countries over is Iran? They don't have. A, they don't have where's their closest common border? No, they can't. They can't lend troops, really, can they? No, they. I mean, they, they don't have a contiguous border, um, but they've got operatives like you know Hamas is you know funded by. Iran, it's a great extent controlled, I think, by Iran as a military group. So they'll sort of feel disengaged from it geographically, but it does Iran's bidding. Uh, and probably Hezbollah you know, does it too. They're just based in a different place with a different kind of, you know, controlling area. But, you know, Israel can le legitimately make the claim that this is something that, you know, clearly, if they can say they were blindsided by this, It'll be a failure of their intelligence that has to be corrected. How? By you know more assistance. So I, I just I see it as a win-win for Israel. I I wonder if an answer to your question. I, I don't know the answer. My opinion would be a lot of it has to do with how how Israel behaves. If they just take care of the uh, I'll use the term spank the offenders. Um, I think it stays fairly limited. If they use it as a way to expand stuff and you know more territory and use it as a land grab of some kind. They they might drag other people in as well as the other people maybe wanting to come in anyway. I I think a lot of it has to do with how both sides behave from this point. Would you agree with that, Jen? Yeah, I would. And and, and, and from a humanitarian, I mean, there won't be much room for humanitarian concerns. I don't think at this point it's, it's going to be about each side is going to try to rack up the body count the most it can to satisfy you know the, the the people on its home fronts, which so I don't think we're going to see much 
you know, push for restraint from anybody in any of this, which is a damn shame. But um, how is Israel behaves and, and what it does in Gaza that it hasn't already done, you know, to subjugate that population. So I just I just see it as going to be a, a test of wills about what they can do to put this to rest forever, which isn't going to happen. But they have to satisfy the people who are you know calling for blood here. Uh, and that's never, you know, a, a, there's never any room for a humanitarian interest in that kind of setup. Nancy, you set me up now. Now you got to make it feel bad because I forgot to ask Mike, who exactly, and maybe he didn't know the answer, who exactly speaks for the Palestinians that are not hooking up with Hamas? Is is there somebody there that could say, hey, we're not involved, don't lay off us, or, or not? No, and not us, not Israel, not, not Egypt. I mean, there's nobody around there that has... But yeah, I would say any any kind of relationship or wants a relationship, and that's that's the whole horror in all of this. And it, it's the Palestinian people who are not being represented here who are going to bear the brunt of you know the shedding of blood. Well, so, just like the poor eleven hundred people in Israel had nothing to do with it, died. We're going to have exactly. a bunch of other I mean, people. These, in these people are, are blameless, and they're and they're I think to a great extent, you know, extent deserved by the people who are allegedly looking out for their interests. So, yeah, I, uh, but you know, Nance, uh, in terms of how tying this together, I think the idea that uh, people being stretched here, the government already being stretched on all levels in terms of money, we had the COVID, but we also had a gazillion self-inflicted wounds for the last how many years, a lot of greed, a lot of stuff. I don't know if there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's not a there's not a lot of play yet. It, it, yeah, I don't think I don't see how you can put a I'll do something really simple. I don't see how you put a, a 20% tax surcharge on right now to to try and deal with the deficit and try and come up with some of the stuff that we're going to send people or, or just to re- restock the shelves that we have here. I don't see how, I don't see the, the population having that kind of a, I mean, you know better than anybody, <clears throat> when somebody gets a mortgage, what do they got left in the tank? What if the same person has a $6,000 uh, hospital bill the next month? I think most of the people that you put in mortgages have trouble, but I'm not speaking for you. Would I be right or not? I, you know, when you when you put it as as simple as you just said, like okay, next month they have a six thousand dollar bill that would go on a payment plan with the hospital. I mean, but I but your example is just I suppose really kind of spot on, right? I mean, not too many. Um, you know, it's the same. The rich are rich, and the the poor are poor, and then the guy in the middle is, like you said, they're stretched. You know, they need time to get out of it. And um, I don't see where this is another uh, good situation we got going on. It's just, it's just, it's just not. I mean, they're surrounded by Lebanon, Syria, uh, Egypt, and Jordan. And I heard each some of the some uh, Israeli citizens were taken in Egypt. So, if if they do get it from all sides, this is not going to be good. Nancy, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm curious. In, in you know talking about people being you know stretched, do you see in your dealings with you know people or conversations with them that any of the sales that you've seen recently are either short sales or coming out of a foreclosure where the seller is somewhat desperate, and the buyer may not be, but but there's people on the other side who have to close this deal or they're you know kind of gone financially have you seen anything like that 
Not yet, but I, I would say we're, we're two, three years away from that because what I see are people using their credit cards like crazy. In other words, they, they, may, they don't have the money, but um, in other words, everything's gone up, right? And then you say to yourself, well, how do you, how do you work with the fact that everything's going up? Because your money isn't just stretching as far, right? And um, I, what I see are people using their credit cards, and I don't know how they're going to pay down their credit card debt. Traditionally, how I've seen it in the past 30 years is they take their, when they take their house, they refinance it, they pay off the credit card debt, they take some money for anything else they may need that they have to really repair in the house. And it, like they kind of clean their slate and start over again. That's what I see happening right now. So the real trouble is coming down the road. In my opinion, if it keeps going the way it's going. Does that make and sense? This, yeah, and 22% on the credit card bills in the meantime, which is making it harder to get out from under that. Right, but everybody's doing what they have to do. It's either food or no food. So what are you yep. going to do? Yep. Nancy, so you what ever, they're doing is they're using their credit card. Have you ever gone with your friend to that uh, little uh, breakfast place on 143rd, the little little house place? It's at the it's not the Oasis. What's the name of that joint? Uh, oh, I know you have me. Yeah, I've been there. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. of course, we go there yesterday, and uh, they something happened to their credit card machine. Something conked out. So the big sign on the door, and uh, inside, cash only. We're having breakfast, and uh, you wouldn't believe the amount. Well, I'm going to say out of seven groups that walked up to the front door, I'm going to say four or five turned around and walked away. Yeah, they. I am not surprised by that because everybody, especially the younger, first of all, the younger kids just use credit cards and digital uh, payment all the time. So that doesn't surprise me at all. They don't carry cash. So then you have to turn to who carries cash and you have to go from there. Well, so I can't say it's a, I can't say for sure that that means they didn't have the cash and they're using credit cards. But I would say that is more the, uh, if you take those two groups out, you that's the arena we are playing in right now. That most people don't uh, have the cash on them, they use their credit cards, and the credit card balances are probably, what, four or five grand? Yeah. And it, in my opinion, once they get that high, it's very hard with 22% interest to get out of them. Oh yeah, yeah, oh God, yeah. So you, we have guys like Mr. Greg sitting here that are very nervous now because see where the IRS is going after the creatures that made like ten and twelve and twenty thousand dollars scalping Taylor Swift tickets and moving the money in like Zell and those kinds of things. So there. I haven't heard of that. Well, so be careful. How many? How much money did you make scalping Taylor Swift tickets? <laughs> Absolutely zero because I didn't know she was here. Oh, God, how could you not know she was here? Was uh, she in Chicago? Oh, no, I mean, when she was here last summer. Remember yeah. when uh, people couldn't get the tickets and there was huge things and we were talking on the air about uh, a couple of my clients, their, their buddies bought, like, tickets for their daughter and five of their girlfriends at 2500 a pop, that kind of thing. Wow. No, I, I miss that. I mean, there you go. Yeah. There was, so now the IRS is coming after <laughs> these guys and everybody's outraged. But how that's kind of silly though. Nobody's gonna be able to prove anything on that one. Well, if if you've got a, a MasterCard that says you bought the tickets from whatever at X number and then you got a Zell transfer at like fifteen grand and you have twelve thousand in the middle, 
Uh, that's an easy one. I mean, people, people, if you go in the bank with twelve thousand bucks and dump it in there or take it out, somebody's got to write a report. And even if it's yep. less than that, if you do it several times in a row, people are, they're going to write a report that you're underneath the number seven a bunch of times in a row. Why does anybody think if you if you zembo somebody twenty grand and they're not looking at it? I think Zell has I think Zell has a limit. Well, on what they I, can yeah, send, that, that I don't know. I, don't even know if it, I think the limit might be five or ten, but I know for sure you can't go over ten because I put it in there once by a mistake and it, it wouldn't take it. Well, well, it's, we, you were sending me ten grand and it didn't come through. Wait, where's my ten grand? Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, but I think you know, it's an invitation too. People who would never want to use a check for a transaction because it is traceable. If they can convert it to cash and sort of launder it that way, I don't. I don't want to make too sinister a, you know, implication here. But uh, Zelle is not any different than check, and in some ways, it's a lot easier to track too. I bet. Yeah. Anyway, so okay, what's going on in the real estate market? Is any business anybody anybody doing any kind of mortgages? I mean, there's getting, well, it's got a few people uh, she's selling houses for, but the mortgages are are lower because people are using a lot of cash from a house they just. So, so are you doing smaller mortgages, or what are you doing? Um, there is not that much out there right now, to be to be really honest with you. There's not that much out there at all. So, um, the market is pretty much, you know, very slow. Odd has had extremely a uh, lot of luck in the fact that she's had longtime customers come back, and they, you know, they have been. Um, buying whatever they can find to meet their needs but the average people are not nothing is really selling that much no one's seeing anything pick up or there's not a lot of activity let's put it that way yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of dead pretty soon i'll get kicked off the shelf so no you won't you'll never get kicked off you can switch <laughs> to different topics you, you yeah. you're ambidextrous as they say the, uh... yeah it's just a shame what, uh, what well, you... are you guys buying anything soon? Does anybody need a mortgage? <laughs> um, let's put it this way. If, if, now would be the time if, if you bought something maybe to pay some cash. Of course, the mortgages might come down. I'll, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If, if somebody just said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the... By the way, I'm, I'm lobbing seven and a half out there. Is that the number? It's close. It's, it's close. Yeah. All right, so if I get a, a mortgage at seven and a half and all of a sudden something happens and the Fed starts pouring money back in and Six months from now, they're four percent. When, when's the quickest I can, I can refinance? About se- seven months, six seven months. Um, what, what's what's right in there? Is that is that why why is it six or seven months? I'm not saying it's a bad number. I'm just saying why is that the number? Well, it it, it just seems what happens is um, the the system will get so clogged up. You'll see. I mean, people will take you and lock you, but then they won't be able to get it. They won't get it get it turned fast enough so like right now if you bought a house i could probably do you within 30 days you know without a problem right and for the first people that get in they'll probably go faster than that but um it's hard to have everything catch up and get payoffs and all that when you just if you just purchased but it can be done it definitely can be done um what how long i guess i've always been curious jam probably knows the answer to this if, if you give somebody a mortgage, you give me a mortgage next week, I buy a place. How long does it take before all that works its way through Fannie and Freddie and everybody else and 
Everybody knows where everything lands. How many? How, many, how long does that take? Where it's it's out of the hand of the mortgage broker. It's back. It's all the way over in, in Freddie and who and who who do they pick to service it at that point? How does all that even shake out? Well, they, they usually have the servicing agent in place at closing, um, and that's how you set up you know, whatever payment system you have or whatever. And it, I, there's disclosure of that. So I'd say it's it's pretty much simultaneous with the closing of the deal. Of course, stuff can happen any time after that where they bundle their loans or get another investor in, in, in the picture and you get a, a you know letter that says you have to now send your payments to so-and-so um this was the case you know 20 years ago where there's loans being bandied around you know all, all over the place several times within you know a short period of time um so but it, i think that you know from get-go where it's going to going to be where your payment's going to land i think is that is that your experience nancy you do know you you do know that the when you close you do know it's going to be sold off in the secondary market and Mm -hmm. we we do know that um we have to who's who they intend to put it with but you got to remember it still has to get packaged right and Mm -hmm. then that package gets sold off you know gets rolled into a bond and then so if somebody's already trying to refinance they have to pull that one out of what maybe 200,000 of them and then they got to pull that out and get it out of there that's where it starts getting um, more complicated so on on refis they tend to go to the the back of the pile mm-hmm. and um but that's where where I say like by 6 months it's pretty safe that your everything is put together all the whole process is put together is what i'm saying and before that it gets kind of it, it it'll just it can be done that's not the problem i'm just saying it's harder on the, the back end people mm-hmm. to clean it all yeah, so things get, it's we're, not we're gonna sort out of time but i'm gonna run over a minute here because i have to ask this question did, did things get crazy at all this time like they did in 2007 and 2000 i remember uh there was a uh I had a client a would-be client that i did a house call it was a well panera bread place in schaumburg and he brings his wife with with and uh uh Shall we just say she was a striking-looking lady, and she starts telling me that she just got laid off. And the first thing in my head was, who the hell would lay her off? But anyway, uh, she was in the mortgage business, and she said they were mm-hmm. they were in the putting stuff together, and they were you know you know I'm sure stealing the best they can. I'm not accusing you of that, but and then she said people were coming by, but we would bundle up like a million dollars worth of mortgages or two million, and people would come by and they would pay a six percent over for the mortgage. And they, they were doing what? This, when I heard this conversation, I should have shorted every bank on earth, but of course I didn't. And she goes, yeah, if we had a million dollars of a mortgage, somebody would come and pay us a million sixty for the package. Did, did, you, did you, was that happening on the south side back in those days, or was that just, she goes, yeah, people would overpay for it because they were, they were, they were so valued, and, and, and everybody wanted them to invest in them. Do you remember that, or was, it, was that just a phenomenon in that area, or was that happening all over, Nance? I I never heard of that. She goes, yeah, we were. We were I, I really have not in all the years. I've I mean, people uh, Wall Street, yes, Wall Street loans, maybe, but not Fannie and Freddie. I mean, they. I don't know if no. These are the ones that people were buying, like for the, you know, the the uh, the big packages that people were buying, like at Goldman Sachs and stuff, and they were they were trading that. Right, well, it wouldn't surprise me, Tom, at all. That's Wall Street. Yeah. You know, they were they were they were selling fake mortgages then too, so it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they were overvaluing them, and you know paying more than the package is worth. And, she said one know, month. To one month we're making so much money. Next month we got laid off. It's how, how, yeah. how quick it changed. Anyway, Nance, uh, 
keep keep up the good work, Jan. Thank you very much. Interesting show this morning. I boy, I learned a lot from Mikey, and I always learn something from you, Nance and Jan. But uh, Matt, good job with all these no people coming in and out. SP Futures down twenty five. Nancy Futures one hundred three. We're down, but not down that much, and we, we're not sinking from here. It's been right here the whole time. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. That's all, folks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. JetBlue Airways. It's not the only way to fly, but it should be. Visit JetBlue.com. Empower HR, your human resources partner. That's EmpowerHR.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. BDL Compliance Consulting. Visit BDLCC.com. DAX Research. Listen to David Annelman on Mondays and Thursdays and go to DACSResearch.net. You have to be closing all the time. 